episode 354 of the YLP podcast. Ladies and gentlemen of the YLP universe, AEW Revolution, as we always say here on the YLP podcast, has come and gone. And it is finally time to discuss exactly what went down this past Sunday with, of course, our AEW Revolution review. And I'm going to tell you all the reasons why. At least in my humble opinion, AEW Revolution decided to go to the Kumite. For those of y'all who know the Boondocks reference, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. We'll discuss all of that, especially the main event between MJF and Brian Danielson, the stuff of legend. What a sh- I mean, honestly, this was a damn good, I would say it was a better show than most thought. And there were, there were a lot of matches that made me think they went to the Kumite on this one. But an episode of the YLP podcast wouldn't be an episode of the YLP podcast without all the news that's good for me to talk about. And what do we have on this week's docket? Well, let me tell you. WWE finally, finally has begun to contact names for the 2023 Hall of Fame, and they plan to keep the ceremony short this go-around. Matthew Wilkinson discusses in his article wrestling and i'm gonna give you my thoughts on uh, the entire situation as a whole literally like hours be- a couple hours before recording i actually found out about this news from our wonderful homeboy brother frets from the frets Fretzelmania podcast shout out to the dude and uh yeah we're gonna be talking about all that as well as the australian government is apparently negotiating with wwe to run a major stadium show. Given the news of pretty much uh, backlash going to Puerto Rico in uh, in, the, in May, and of course with uh, the King and Queen of the Ring going to be in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and then you have Money in the Bank being in London this year, I can understand why the international flair is on board. Also, to round out the news of this week, Vincent Kennedy McMahon was at Raw, as we know, this past Monday. And we're going to discuss a little bit about Raw because I want to talk about that John Cena verbal ass whooping of Austin Theory. Um, (laughs) Woo! But we're going to discuss, you know, what Vince McMahon actually did at Raw this past Monday night. And I'm going to give you my thoughts as to um, why I think we are hearing some lies about the uh, whole Vince McMahon was there just to see John Cena. I'm saying cap like a motherfucker, but I'll explain all of that on this week's episode. It is Saturday. (laughs) And you know exactly what that means. This is episode 354 of the YLP podcast. Let's hit that intro. Let's get it started. And with that being said... Let us begin. Zach from the Wrestling Issues Podcast here, and welcome to episode 354 
of the YLP Podcast. So glad to have you guys here with me on this Saturday. And I hope you're enjoying your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening. Wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for taking this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. It is Saturday, April. No, I'm kidding. March 11th. 2023. I almost really said April 11th. Anywho, <laughs> hope you guys are having a great Saturday so far. Hope your week was solid. I am here once again with my guest co-host, Miss Princess. Uh, she wanted to be nosy as I was trying to record the uh, opening uh, to this episode uh, beforehand, and she just wanted to be a little nosy, but yeah, you want to be a little nosy, but don't you? Plus, she, plus, I got a little bit of lunch over here, so she's, I'm hoping she doesn't try to get into that. But we ain't gonna worry about that right now. But if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or opinions about today's episode or any of the other 353 episodes of YLP Podcast, do not hesitate to hit your boy up with a voice message over at anchor.fm slash Perspective. But be, but be informed. A little bit of housekeeping we have here. Uh, apparently now, Anchor.fm, we're going to clap it up here. We are clapping. We are clapping. Uh, apparently, Anchor has uh, teamed up with Spotify, and uh, now they are uh, part of the uh, Spotify for Podcasters, which means we are part of Spotify for Podcasters, which means we are cool now. Well, we are cooler than we already were. This just makes it a uh, more solidified uh, reasoning of us being cool so if you do see a little bit of a difference when you go to anchor.fm to check out all the podcasts that you know and you love from wrestleatic radio keep that in mind but also if you want to send me an email you can easily do that with a email younglinesperspective at gmail.com i'll give you of course the remainder of the particulars excuse me of my social media and everything at the end of today's episode Hope you guys had a good week, um, and I hope you're having a great Saturday so far. And before we get into the news, of course, I just want to um, get into a little bit of what went down on uh, WWE Raw this past Monday night. And uh, in the wonderful proverbial words of one Adrian Broner, for those who may not know who he is, he is a professional boxer. Um, not a bad career. Everyone dubbed him at one point to be him, possibly be the next Floyd Mayweather, which I thought was supremely cat. But hey, beggars can't be choosers, and I ain't trying to pick names out of a fucking hat. But in the words of one Adrian Broner, Austin Theory got cooked. I thought the uh, promo from Roman Reigns was bad. And in terms of bad, I mean John Cena got in that ass. Uh, back in 2017. Um, apparently, no. Uh, they let John Cena cook. And I actually did post it on my Twitter page. Um, uh, uh, at YL Perspective, if you want to actually follow me over there. Capital YLP Perspective. Um, I I was just like, yo, don't get me wrong. Theory, like Reigns, held his own as much as he could against John Cena. But when it comes to John Cena, and if they didn't not, if they didn't give him that man a script to go off of and just gave him talking points to run with, um, Austin Theory got cooked. It has been a long time since I've seen a wrestler get cooked in a promo. And honestly, the last time I've seen a wrestler get cooked like that was Roman Reigns back in 2017. I'm hard to crazy to imagine that was six years ago already. 
crazy to imagine. It was six years ago we saw Roman Reigns get cooked. And then, and now Roman Reigns is the greatest second thing since sliced fucking bread. Uh, so maybe, and I actually did see this uh, a comment on a, on a tweet. I forget who posted it. Um, that person that person actually said, uh, well, I mean, Roman Reigns got cooked in 2017 and look how his career is gone. So maybe Austin Theory might get that same rub. And if you really think about it, I think I saw a comment on Twitter as well. Um, what was it? Yeah, John Cena only really like works with people he actually likes. So if if anything, John Cena did this with Austin Theory because he actually digs Austin Theory. I mean, John Cena's not really gonna, you know, most like most big names in the company, um, aren't really gonna work with guys they don't plan on, you know, they actually don't fuck with. Like this whole Brock Lesnar Omos thing. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but if Brock Lesnar gave it the okay to work with Omos, um, I can understand why this match would take place. Do I still think it's a Vince McMahon deal? Probably. We ain't talking about that right now. Uh, I just had to put that out there. Austin Theory got cooked. And that's not a bad thing. That's just a way. That's just, uh, it's just, Cena in terms of promos is always going to be on a different level. In, in terms of that. I mean, from beginning to end, I mean, like I said, Theory held his own for a little bit, but then John Cena just, oh my God. I can't even think, like, it was so good, I can't even think of what he actually said in the damn promo. That's how good that was, because it's just so many bits, and it was just, if this were a rap battle, Cena, Cena 30 Austin Theory for all my battle rap fans out there, but we ain't gonna talk about much more about that. We're gonna get into all the news that's fit for me to talk about. Yes, yes, we're gonna talk about the news. We did this last week. We did this last week. I don't understand why you don't know, understand the format yet. We did this. Yeah, I do the news first, and then we talk about the revolution. Yeah, that's what we do. Okay, that's, that's, that's how we do. It. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to have dead air on here. This thing. Okay, we're gonna have a good show, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're gonna have a good show. All right. So <laughs> let us get into the news of the week, and we will start off going over to Wrestling Inc. Dot com. This and this news actually just came about a couple hours ago. And as I said in the intro, shout out to my homeboy brother Fretz for actually dropping the news on to us in our uh Discord group. And yes, we still have a Discord. If you want to go over to Wrestle Attic Radio's Twitter, find our link tree, find the Discord, invite yourself. Uh, our esteemed general manager will bring you into the fold and then you can join us within the discord happy days are here again yes i'm doing shameless plugs deal with it but let us get into the news wwe has contacted names for 2023 hall of fame yes yes hall of fame plans to keep the ceremony short this is from matthew wilkinson with three weeks to go until WrestleMania weekend, there has been no word about this year's induction class for the WWE Hall of Fame. By now, there has usually been some announcement of those at the center of the honored festivities. WWE still has plans to carry on the annual gala, and according to the latest Wrestling Observer newsletter, has reached out to legendary talent for inclusion. The ceremony will take place directly after SmackDown on March 31st, the night before WrestleMania kicks off. As for how much talent is being offered induction, that remains a mystery. Evolution is a mystery. Anyway, 
but WWE is operating with the idea of keeping things shorter than in previous years. Earlier this week, Mick Foley revealed that he had been asked to induct someone as part of this year's class, although he wouldn't offer any specifics on who had made the request or if it had even been greenlit yet. One name that keeps getting bandied about is Dave Bautista. He was initially tapped to enter the Hall of Fame as part of the class of 2020. However, that event was put off, as, of course, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. He was then going to be inducted the following year, but he was pulled from the slate with the wrestler-turned-actor stating that prior obligations would prevent him from attending. A later date was expected for his eventual participation, so could this be the year? Dwayne The Rock Johnson's name has also been floating around with WrestleMania 39 in Los Angeles for months. The rumblings were that WWE wanted to get The Rock involved with this year's annual event. The popular train of thought was for a main event match with Roman Reigns. However, this... That has been since proven not to become have come to fruition at all. So would his appearance of, to be a part of the class of 2023 be a worthwhile consolation prize? We'll hopefully find out soon. Now, the only really gripe I have with this news is that usually WWE has already started their announcement of uh, inductees for the for that particular year's Hall of Fame. Hi. Um. Yeah, Miss Prince is a little bit of a nosy butt when it comes to uh, me doing things that aren't normally going on uh, in, <laughs> in my mom's place of residence. Yeah, what? Yes, I'm talking about you. Yeah, I know. You're so excited. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You go lay down. You go relax. You should go lay down. Take a nap. Relax. <laughs> you were doing that before, and you were so happy. Anywho. Usually around this time, we would have already known at least a few of the names that going are going into the Hall of Fame this go-around. But for some reason, it kind of irked me a little bit to find out that, yeah, they really didn't announce anybody. And it kind of didn't really cross my mind until um, Fretz in our Discord group really brought that up. I was quite shocked and kind of upset because, you know, usually we would have already had an idea of who kind of would be in the Hall of Fame for this year. Usually the four or five names that we would have on hand and all that good stuff. But for some reason, it still kind of makes me feel some type of way about it. I mean, good on them for actually kind of keeping it secret. But I don't know. I really don't know. Hey, get out of there. I'm usually, I'm usually not sure. No, you're not getting my food. You better, you better go on with that. You can go lay down. That's what you need to do. Yes, you're adorable. I know. I, I like you too. <laughs> she's an easy one. She's, she's a very, very needy baby. No, that's mine. I don't share. You know this, okay? She knows you because she wants to get in my pot roast. She wants to get all up in my pot roast and rice. Um, <laughs> but, ser but the serious thing is, the way I see it, is that, I mean, granted, yes, good on them for actually making sure we have a Hall of Fame ceremony this year. But I'm kind of surprised at the fact that there really hadn't been any names announced for it. Um, because usually we already have begun that speculation of, you know, who could we see in this year's Hall of Fame? Is The Rock going to be in? Is Batista going to be in? Is so-and-so going to be in? Who's a Is there going to be a celebrity part of it? This go around. So usually all the speculation would have been going around. More than likely, often than not, it would have started, honestly, if we were being brutally honest with ourselves and each other, around uh, Elimination Chamber time. In that sense. Around Elimination Chamber, somewhere around there, maybe before that. But... The, re the why we didn't get any announcements for that is surprising to me for the most part. Um, I mean, like I said, good on them for doing so. And the fact that Mick Foley 
um, revealed that he had been asked to induct someone. Now we can kind of start those uh, little rumor actions and all that stuff, which is then nice, but I don't know. It's just a very, it's, it's just very, very surprising to me that WWE um, really didn't, excuse me, really didn't have anything in terms of I don't know, in terms of basically having at least a name or two out there. You know, we'll see. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I mean, yes, granted, I'm glad they're doing a Hall of Fame this year. Just kind of irks me a little bit that they didn't really say much of anything in terms of who will be in there or, you know, maybe, you know, given us some inkling as to who will be in this year's ceremony. But it bees what it bees. It is what it is. We will hope, I'm sure we'll find out um, probably beginning this week uh, who will get there, who will be the first inductee, who will be the headliner for this year's WrestleMania uh, weekend, and who will be the uh, headliner for this year's Hall of Fame. I honestly don't have an idea who could be in there, but whoever going to be there will probably more than likely hopefully have earned their spot. And we will see. And, uh, of course, if anything pops up um, for this week, I will give you all that news next week on uh, episode 355. But we will move on with the news. And this little bit of news actually kind of surprised me a little bit. But it makes all the sense in the world um, in terms of uh, the international flair of shows that we're going to be getting uh, as we head into, I would say, the sp late spring into the summer months. Uh, good, good times. Uh, here in the, in terms of WWE premium live events. And we head over to Fightful.com with a report. Australian government negotiating with WWE to run major stadium show. This is actually from Skylar Russell. A new report is suggesting that WWE could return to Australia for a major event. In the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer. Bum noted that the state government of Western Australia is currently negotiating with WWE to run a major stadium show in the country. The report notes that the deal could be similar to the deal that WWE made back with made with Melbourne back in 2018. Meltzer also states that the event will likely be held in Perth, which has hosted the, uh, the UFC 284 event back in February. That event was held in the RAC Arena, which has capacity of 15,000 people. WWE has not visited the country of Australia since 2019. I believe that was, uh, yeah, that was Super Showdown. As previously noted, WWE has hosted uh, the Super Showdown event in Melbourne, Australia back on October 6, 2018. That event was held at the Melbourne Cricket Ground and had an announced attendance of 70,309 people. After WrestleMania 39, WWE will host three straight premium live events in international countries, beginning with Backlash on May 6th. That's going to take place in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, which is actually the day after uh, Mr. Wild P. Jr.'s birthday. So I think that'll be a nice present for him and I to enjoy that. Uh, WWE King of the Ring on March 27th, taking place in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia to kick off Memorial Day weekend. And Money in the Bank on July 1st, that will take place in London, England. I actually dig this. I dig that, you know... Um, 
WWE is starting to kind of warm up to the idea of having more international shows. I know usually WWE once or twice a year goes over to Europe and has a little bit of a European tour. Uh, maybe do a Raw and a SmackDown somewhere in a major, oh, one of the majors, uh, their stops on, on the road, on the tour there. But usually the international flair doesn't get, uh, the international fans don't get as much, um, they don't get as much uh, show here uh, with, in terms of WWE. So for WWE, especially now in the Triple H regime, to actually want to basically have, you know, shows outside of the United States, uh, especially with Clash of the Castle at Cardiff and Clash of the Castle in Cardiff. I think it's a fantastic thing. I think it's a great thing to see that country, you know, we're going to get a show in Puerto Rico. We're going to get a show uh, in London. I really don't, I usually don't care too much for the Saudi Arabia events because of uh, the uh, things that have happened uh, prior to, to, hi, yes. Yes, Princess is very excited for the Puerto, uh, Puerto Rico show. For some reason, the second I said Puerto Rico, she was uh, she's been wagging her tail at the moment. But um, yeah, the fact that they're doing it in Puerto Rico, and I think that's I believe if I remember a tweet, uh, it's gonna be the first time since like the mid two thousands that they have actually done a show uh, in Puerto Rico. So that's gonna be very excited for the fans out there in the, uh, San Juan. Uh, I'm sure there are gonna be plenty of people going to go uh, clamoring to go over that. I'm sure NYC Demon Diva. Uh, is going to be all over that 100%. And um, I'm sure other people will probably probably make the trip to, down to Puerto Rico and uh, enjoy that wonderful uh, event with Backlash. That is going to be wild. In terms of the Australian side of things, um, it is going to be a good time. I mean, don't get me wrong. Super Showdown wasn't that bad of a show. Uh, I believe uh, the Iconics uh, competed at that event. Buddy Murphy, well, now Buddy Matthews, um, competed in that event. And it wasn't that it wasn't too bad of a show. I'm not gonna front with y'all. And um, so it's really cool to see, you know, Australia now trying to get into the mix for having shows. Uh, like I said, London, London for my, bless you, London for uh, the in the UK is bless you, uh, London in uh, United Kingdom is gonna be doing a, a show. I'm quite excited for that. So with this. I think, you know, with WWE wanting to branch out and go to other countries, um, maybe it's maybe it's technically scouting for NXT uh, everywhere. I'm not sure yet. I mean, especially with NXT Europe, uh, NXT Japan, NXT Australia. They just want NXT around the goddamn world. But this is always a good thing. It's very refreshing to see that um, WWE wants to take their product more around the world, especially for big shows where fans usually don't see pay-per-views, um, especially the UK squadron. Um, and I know uh, uh, my homie, uh, Brother Jermaine, uh, you know, I hope I hope you're going to uh, Money in the Bank. If you're not, I'm going to be very upset with you. I'm kidding, I'm not. But if you are going to uh, Money in the Bank, I hope you enjoy yourself. Um, I don't know. But uh, I, you know, like I said, I got my UK squadron out there, my boy, Brother Jermaine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the international flair is everything and it really it creates a different dynamic for um, fans like myself who aren't going to be going to that, more likely aren't going to be going to that show. But for the fans of Puerto Rico, uh, London, and of course, Saudi Arabia, um, it's a wonderful thing to see that, you know, those fans are going to get an opportunity to actually go to a WWE show uh, that they normally don't get in terms of, you know, actually going to, it's actually being a show that they can actually 
go-to instead of having to watch it on telly. So good on them, and uh, we'll see how it goes. If anything pops up with um, the Australian government actually getting a show uh, sometime in the near future, I will definitely 100% let you guys know all about that ASAP. And finally, the last bit of news that I have for this week comes from comicbook.com. An update on what Vince McMahon did at Raw this past Monday. This is from Connor Casey. Vince McMahon was backstage at this week's Monday Night Raw for the first time since initially leaving WWE last July. The news set the online wrestling community into a bit of a panic as there's been a nagging fear that McMahon might try to force his way back into his old position of booking the product ever since he forced his way back onto WWE's board of directors in January. Regardless of the claims, Mr. McMahon and other high-ranking WWE officials have made that he's merely back to oversee a sale of a company. Excuse me. And that was actually in parentheses, just letting y'all know. Reports then started going around that McMahon was just back to see John Cena, as a 16-time world champion was making his first appearance on Raw since last year. McMahon never appeared on the show itself, thank God, but a few updates have since popped up online about what he was up to. Dave Meltzer said on Wrestling Observer Radio, quote, he was in guerrilla position all night, so I mean, what does that tell you? He wasn't barking orders at people or anything like that, but he was in Gorilla all night. And I was told that they tell that they tell you that he's only there to visit John Cena. That's the story, but there's more to it than that. He goes on to say, he's doing more than letting on, but the person who was in control was Levesque last night. It's not like he was there and in charge and doing stuff, but it's not like he was just visiting John Cena and saying hi to a few people and then left. That didn't happen either. So the truth is a little bit in the middle, most likely, end quote. Russell Votes then uh, on their Twitter uh, this past Monday stated, quote, while Vince McMahon was in Gorilla the entire show and said to be in a pleasant mood, I'm told his presence backstage didn't impact anything script-wise last night, end quote. I smell fucking cap all over this. I'm going to tell you why. It's no secret. Vincent Kennedy McMahon wants to get back into the creative joint. He wants his keys back to the Lamborghini. He wants to be the one to book these shows. It's no fucking secret. And if you're not, and if you're not, if you don't think that's an actual thing, you ain't paying attention, my friends, because of the simple fact that if there's one thing I know, and one thing we've known since uh, Triple H had NXT. Uh, many moons ago before he handed the reins over to Shawn Michaels. Um, Vincent McMahon is one, was one of, I, 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 this is how I feel about it. And if you think differently, honestly, hit me up with a voice message. We can have that discussion. But I believe in my heart of hearts, Vince McMahon was completely jealous of Triple H because of the fact that NXT on their big four weekends uh, would have their show the day before um, the uh, WWE main roster pay-per-view and NXT blew WWE main roster out of the fucking water almost every single time with the ex- with the exception of takeover san antonio and the uh royal rumble following that event the day after i don't i think i don't think for one second that Vince man has uh let that go and i don't think for one second uh that vince mcmahon isn't uh trying to get back into the fold because i do i think he wants to get back into the fold i know for a fact that he wants to get back into creative that's a problem you're going to sit in Gorilla all night, the entire show. You're not just there to, you know, 
stop by, shake hands, throw some dap up. Don't say the N-word to John Cena no more. Um, yes, that is a thing. You can find that video. And I'm just like, hi. But in my heart of hearts, Vince McMahon wants back into creative. That's a problem for me. And it should be a problem for you too, um, hearing about this personally. Ever since Vince McMahon went away, so we can clear up some legal shit, which I believe he's still clearing up as we know uh, as of this recording personally. Um, there is no way you can tell me that Vince McMahon doesn't want to get back into creative. You know damn well he does. Knowing that his son-in-law has the keys to the creative kingdom and is, br- and is bringing back talent, uh, doing be- uh, solid storylines, uh, actually backing the Judgment Day after, you know, seeing what they can do, um, building up to a Mysterio versus Mysterio match, um, Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes at Mania, the six-woman tag, uh, not too bad, but hey, that's a, I, I'll leave that for when we talk about WrestleMania uh, in a few weeks' time. But you can, hearing this report, and honestly, think to yourself, Vince McMahon wasn't just sitting there all night drinking uh, whatever the fuck he drinking, coffee, tea, and going to catering and see what, you know, seeing what the uh, menu looked like for that evening. No, he was probably there to try and uh, do some funky shit. I really do. I really do think, I mean, you're not going to, I mean, it's one thing if you're just, you know, like I said, like the report said, you know, stopping by, seeing, actually visiting John Cena, saying what's up, um, you know, visiting, seeing, you know, wanting to be there for the actual segment uh, for Theory and Cena. And as I said earlier in this segment, uh, Theory got cooked. Um, <laughs> he got cooked so bad, but. He wasn't just there just to see Cena, shake hands, dap up, talk to Cena a little bit, talk to Theory about how, you know, how well the segment went uh, and all this stuff, and then just, you know, throw up the deuces and then uh, go on about his merry fucking way. Ain't no fucking way. He wants in, he wants back in creative so bad. As uh, Ace Ventura once said, you want, and you want that dookie so bad, you can taste it. You want he wants to be in creative back in creative so damn bad and you and we all know it. We all know it to be true. There's no reason. I mean, it's not a fucking secret that uh, ever since Vince McMahon left, um, he's wanted back in. I mean, he forced himself back into the board of directors uh, for all for it to be a uh, oh yeah, it's for a doing the sale of the company. Bullshit. Bullshit, my guy. Bullshit, man. You want back in creative. And until news reports prove to me that he isn't getting back into creative, my my opinion is very fucking simple. Vince McMahon wants to get back in creative. He's he's feeling all types of jealous because his son-in-law is running creative. And um, yeah, okay, yeah. First thing with the with the Brock Lesnar and Omos. When the report came out um about him having influence um about having that match. Now, granted. Uh, Brock Lesnar probably gave it the okay, and I, even even for him, that's a, that's like way below his bar. And but that's just me though. But seriously, 
it's going to be very hard to conv- uh, convince me that Vince McMahon is not trying to get back into creative. Jealousy is a very, very terrible trait for guys like Vince McMahon. I mean, especially, like I said earlier, with uh, how bad, excuse me, McMahon was getting his ass whooped when Triple H was running NXT back in the golden age. You don't, you mean to tell me that he doesn't want to get back into the fold? You mean to tell me that he doesn't want to just chill and gorilla, like come through, visit, hang out for a little bit and bounce? Nah, he wants back in creative. He wants to be at the microphone. He wants to be the one talking, being in the ear of Cole and um, and Barrett and all those guys. There ain't no fucking way. Ain't no way. Ain't no fucking way. He wants back in. He wants back in creative so bad. What WWE's board of directors should have done, and I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it at this. Should tell them to fuck off and go home. Stay home. Take care of your legal issues. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But when we come back on episode 354 of the YLP podcast, we're going to be discussing the AEW revolution pay-per-view. Everything that went down, including that wonderful main event. My God, and what a main event that was. On the other side of episode 354 of the YLP podcast, stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back episode 354 of the YLP podcast and before we get into the AEW Revolution review anyway before we get back into the AEW Revolution review we're getting into the Revolution review I should say uh, of course, y'all know I got to plug my squadron, my people, my home squadron. That is, of course, the team that is Wrestle Addict Radio. Of course, I appreciate y'all checking me out every Saturday and getting your uh, fill of YLP content. But make sure you check out the rest of the family. That is Wrestle Addict Radio. I believe the season finale of the Race for Impact podcast uh, either happened this week or last week. But make sure you check that out. For Impact Podcast, hosted by the one and only Nate And if you love yourself some old school TNA, NWA TNA, or Impact, uh, you can definitely check that out every single Tuesday on Wrestling Radio. Wednesdays, of course, the Eagle Squad over at the Kings of the Rings Podcast, Kingley, Rose, and Willie T. And of course, as always, shout out to the one that is Kay Murphy. I'm talk about all the news that went, that went down over the past week, as well as pop culture news and all the fun stuff that you love to hear about on their show. It goes down every Wednesday night on YouTube. And make sure you subscribe to the Wrestle Addict Radio channel and the Kings of the Rings podcast YouTube page to check all of that. 
that out get your notifications all in there and you can also check that out on twitter and on twitch as well at k-o-t-r underscore podcast make sure you check that out with thursday being the audio version that drops every single week friday kick off your weekend the only way that you know how besides the ylb way with the frontomania podcast of course if you love yourself some ruthless aggression era i don't even know why i said it like that the ruthless aggression era of wwe this is the podcast for you hosted by of course uh, our boy our neighbor to the north mr brother frets we know him as frets over here on the side of things and then you can round out the week with yours truly on the ylp podcast of course y'all know what it is it's wrestling radio the cure for the common wrestling podcast i'm gonna make this into like a like two bits because We'll see, we'll see how it goes, but AEW Revolution. Let us get into it. AEW Revolution. The reason I call this week's episode Revolution Goes to Kumite was because there were just all there was just very there's a lot of good action that went down on this uh, on this pay-per-view. I would say a lot of good stuff happened on this pay-per-view. I was very, very happy with how Revolution turned out this past Sunday. They did a damn good job of having exactly what they needed on the card, ending some rivalries, and um, possibly creating some new ones uh, as we went into uh, Dynamite this past Wednesday, which I did not check out, unfortunately. But, um... Action Mobile will monitor that as we go. But there were a lot of things that went down this past Sunday that I really did appreciate across the board. This was a, a damn good show. And given the card that we had, I was very excited for it. I was quite surprised. Um, as far as my record goes, um, let me see. We're 15-1 and one before this. Let's see. I got that. I believe I got that, 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 that. I believe we went perfect. I may have to check the archives. I may have to check the uh, the board. But as far as I know, I believe, minus the pre-show match, because I really didn't know about that, Um, I believe we went 8-0. I could be wrong. If you guys have listened to the podcast last week, uh, let me know. But as far as I see it right now, I believe we did go perfect. And if that's the case, 23-1 and one on the year so far, which is actually not bad. There's actually a better record than I thought going into WrestleMania weekend. I'm not going to lie. Damn you, Jimmy Gargano. Damn you, Johnny Gargano. But anyway, but I believe we are 23-1 and one on the year right now. Like I said, I could be wrong. And if y'all want to check that out, I, I'm probably wrong. I'm, I'm kind of lazy at the moment. But, um... 23 and 1 of the year. I ain't mad at that. Good record going into WrestleMania weekend. I'm getting pretty good at these prediction thingies. I'm not gonna lie. But um, but this show, this was a really solid show. And a lot of good things did happen on the show that I think people should be uh really uh, happy about as we begin the road to double or nothing going down on Memorial Day weekend. A couple points I wanted to get out. The main the, the big points I wanted to uh, make sure I uh had up on 
the MJF Brian Danielson match. I'm gonna of course y'all, y'all know me. I lead off with the big main event. One thing I did appreciate before I get into MJF Danielson is that I appreciated Excalibur throughout the night throwing out some solid stats um, throughout the matches. Um, a couple of uh, ones that I do remember off the top of my head, Chris Jericho uh, hadn't lost three in a row going into the Ricky Starks match uh, since 2006. Put that in perspective, I was literally a graduate. I was in my senior year of high school the last time Jericho lost three in a row. Shows I'm showing I'm showing my age a little bit. Good lord, but um, but yeah, yeah. So this is the first time, and I don't know what the stat is for uh four in a row, but I'm sure it has been a quite a long time since um. Jericho's lost four in a row in his career. The other stat, though, going back into the Brian uh, Danielson-MJF match, that um, this literally now is MJF's longest match of his career. He had never gone over 38 minutes in a matchup. And this was now officially the longest match of his career. And what a match it was. A wonderful match this was. This was crap. I don't know who produced this. I'm sure we'll figure out. We'll find out um, who like uh, who produced this because this was that match was just fantastic from beginning to end. All of this was just fantastic. I mean, I'm looking at the reception of it. Uh, this was actually uh, this is this is from Wikipedia, by the way. "Quote: Revolution received critical acclaim. Brian Rose of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter called the event one of the best shows of the year." Calm it down. We're only in March. He gave praise to the main event, which he called one of the best 60-minute Iron Man matches in modern history and a masterclass in storytelling. Rose also commended the tremendous Texas death match between John Moxley and Adam Page, which was a classic bloody war. Elsewhere on the card, the Elise, the Elite versus the House of Black was very fun, and Chris Jericho versus Ricky Starks was a solid opener. Brian Alvarez, who was writing for Sports Illustrated, said, uh, the wrote the event exceeded expectations, defying an underwhelming build. He opined that the main event was surely the greatest Iron Man match in wrestling history. The Texas Death Match was preposterously, <laughs> preposterously bloody and violent, and the trios match was outstanding. While the rest of the show, with the rest of the show ranging from good to great. Now, I didn't really stick around for the build of this. But when you have writers saying um, greatest Iron Man match in wrestling history, one of the best 60-man Iron Man matches in wrestling history, a masterclass in storytelling, uh, exceeded expectations, that's how you know you had a damn good show. And in the four years, and I've said, and I said this in, the, uh, in my re- uh, preview in predictions last week, when it comes to revolution, more often than not, you're going to have some damn good moments. On this show. Not only did they have damn good moments, they had damn good matches on this card. I said last week, House of Black Elite was going to be a dark horse for candidate for matches tonight, did I not? Just just want to make sure y'all, y'all, you know, y'all remember what was up. Um, House of Black Elite was a fantastic thing. But getting back into uh, MJF Brian Danielson, if I may. This was a, I haven't seen many Iron Man matches in my life personally. Um, 
But this probably, at least for me, was the best 60-minute Iron Man match I personally have ever seen. This was, from beginning to end, a full-on story that was it was it was beautiful it was beautiful to watch it was absolutely brilliant ring psychology storytelling you know chance of fight forever about two or three times we probably heard that this is awesome chance um this was just absolute this was i mean this was past a banger this was an all-time classic okay Wrestling Observer Newsletter gave, and I just actually uh, saw this tweet before I actually got onto the mic today, uh, got into the recording mode. This match actually received five and three quarter stars from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. So basically, there I mean, five stars is pretty much the best of all time. And now we've gone past five, and now we're just going towards six. But this is undoubtedly one of the greatest matches of all time. And I've been watching wrestling professional wrestling since I was eight. Hands down, one of the greatest matches I have personally ever seen in my lifetime. And I've been watching wrestling since I was eight years old. This was just a journey. It was a flat out journey from beginning to end. I mean, you know, of course, Danielson getting the uh, bicycle uh, knee 25 minutes into the matchup. MJ getting disqualified right after with a low blow, but using that to get two quick pinfalls uh, to even his uh, to even things up at uh, two apiece. Clever, clever uh, move right there uh, from MJF. And like I said, whoever produced this matchup, Gold Stars, give that give these motherfuckers a raise. All the flowers, everything. MJF versus Danielson. On, in terms of revolution, it's probably the, I mean, before I had in my head, Omega Page and versus the Young Bucks was probably the greatest. <laughs> this, I'll put it this way. This match is so good. Princess is doing a, doing roll, doing rollovers right now on, on the floor. This is how excited she is. She's exciting. Yes, I know. It's, I, oh, so exciting. So exciting. Yes. This, that's how excited, that's how good. This match was. It was a damn good match. Um, then, of course, uh, the Heat Seeker, 40 minutes into the matchup. Um, Heat Seeker. We then, uh, in the last uh, last 10 minutes, um, Danielson wonderfully uh, submitting MJF in a regal stretch. And then it went 3-3. With MJF holding his middle finger on the rope and tapping to make Danielson think that he actually won. Beautiful ring psychology from MJF. Beautiful ring psychology from Danielson. Um, I have a strange feeling that it's going to start springing up debate of actually who is the best wrestler in the world right now. And I know a lot of people will probably say Roman. I'm sure a lot of people will say Kenny. I know people will say Will. Will Ospreay. But honestly, if we're going to have to say best wrestler in the world right now, you got to add MJF in this conversation, people. This man has heat. This man is a glorified heel. What he did at the press conference afterwards was just a stroke of fucking genius.
it blows my mind how well done this match was curated. From beginning to end, there wasn't really a moment of just stop. Every second felt like it was important. And of course, in a 60-minute Ironman match, every second counts. But, excuse me. What made this match for me personally, what made this match for me personally was towards the end of the uh, regulation period, Danielson hitting the diving headbutt, MJF bloodied up. We know he bladed. Um, but he didn't blade too bad. I'm just going to put that out there. He didn't blade too bad. And I know people are, are highly against blading in, in the world of professional wrestling. I don't mind it as long as you don't go Eddie Guerrero on it. Yeah, I said it. And it has to be said. Because there's a difference between what how MJF did it and how uh, <laughs> and how Eddie Guerrero did it when he bladed. We ain't going to talk about that right now. And also Triple H kind of had a bad blading moment too. But we ain't going to talk about that right now. We ain't, we ain't worried about that. I digress. That moment, the se- once that happened, hi. Good girl. Good girl. The way that after that moment, that's when they turned up for me. And this was towards the end of the regulation period. They turned up hard. They turned up. Wait, pause. They turned up. 100% they turned up. Yeah. Yes, they did. They turned up. They turned up big time. No, you're not having my food. They turned up. 100% turned up. And it was just in that moment, I'm just like, okay, this is how we're going to ramp shit up. And then, of course, like I said, uh, with Danielson having the uh, single leg crab in, um, and then, of course, the Regal stretch in the last 10 seconds, last like minute or so, and MJF pulling, trying desperately to get to the ropes, gets to the ropes, taps the same time. That It's just that little bit of detail. It's those little bitty details that make or break a matchup. And MJF and Danielson, uh, honestly, in my opinion, have wonderful chemistry together. Wonderful chemistry. Um as Roman said uh, in the promo, uh, when you did a, when you went to actually a wonderful Dusty Rhodes impression, may I add, um, you have it. I ain't gonna try to do a Dusty impression. I got time for that. Uh, you have it. You can't. You couldn't sell it. You couldn't buy it. You have it. This match had it all over the place. These two have chemistry. The uh, from it's just you just know. Real ones, no. Real wrestling fans, no. If you're casual, you just got your uh, legitimate um, hardcore lesson in what actual good wrestling chemistry is. Yes. Yes, it was very good chemistry, I know. I think so, too. It was damn good chemistry between these two. I think it was the... This was just a wonderful main event, and I kind of figured I was going to do a two-part portion on it because it had to be discussed. It had this had to be discussed the right way. MJF Brian Daniel. Now, of course, MJF retained his championship after, uh, of course, uh, during the overtime period, fans were going buck wild. Tony Schiavone gets the um, word from Tony Khan, 
you know, that there's going to be a sudden death over time. He, he was all, he was, he was happy as shit. He was just like, okay, yes, yes, I'll go to the ring right now. Goes down to the ring, lets Justin Roberts and Bryce Remsburg know. And shout out one time for Bryce Remsburg. I used to give him hell back in the day when AEW first started because I thought he was on some bullshit. But you know what? Shout out to Bryce Remsburg for having that main event, for giving, for giving him that main event. He did it fantastically. And I'll tell you why. The best moment of the match for in, in, uh, on his end was when, um, during the overtime period, when MJF had the belt. And this was after, of course, uh, this was, I think, before the uh, oxygen tank to the face region on Danielson. Bryce Remsburg, Remsburg let him know. He's like, he saw, he, see, he turns around to check on, he checks on Danielson, then turns around, sees MJF with the belt, goes right over to him and says, hey, he's like, oh, you, you want to hit him with the belt? You want to hit him with the belt? You hit him with the belt. You lose that championship. John and Danielson takes the title. If you want to do it, be my, he stands, stands, he moves out of the way and says, be my guest. Oh, what a moment. What a moment. Which then led to um, Brian uh, Remsburg taking the belt from MJF. As his backwards turn to MJF, he reaches into his trunks, grabs the dynamite diamond, goes for the punch. He misses. And then I believe, um, I think it was either the regal stretch or the label lock that he caught MJF in. And as he was uh, in the hold, Remsburg then takes the dynamite diamond off of his pinky and puts it in his pocket. Oh, oh, that, that is good storytelling. You want to talk about storytelling? Remsburg did awesome in this matchup. I think I think Rems, Bryce Remsburg was the perfect candidate for this match. Now you could have put uh, Aubrey Edwards in there. You really could. You could have put. Uh, I would say honestly, the two best referees that AEW has right now, Aubrey Edwards, Aubrey Edwards, and Bryce Remsburg. I don't know who the uh, I forget the other guy's name. I think it's Rick Knox. Um, he's actually pretty good too. Um, Stephen Noel, I think, is the other one. I mean, they have really good referees in AEW. Uh, if we're being brutally honest, and but Bryce Remsburg was the perfect referee uh, for this match and especially for that moment. Holy shit. I was just so thoroughly enthralled. And that is the word I don't use in the, from the English language that often. But when I do, it's warranted. I was enthralled by this. I was really encapsulated with it. I'm just using my... Yeah, I'm, I'm putting my IQ out there right now. I was encapsulated. I was just mesmerized. I was just... It was one of those things where... It's one of those matches where you just have to just sit back, relax, and enjoy the spectacle that was this match. Because that's what it was. It was a spectacle. This was, and I'm sure a lot of people wanted Danielson to win this championship. And honestly, at points, I thought that Danielson was going to take it. And that's the bet. And that's the best thing about this matchup too: the believability. Excuse me. From all sides. I mean, even commentary. Commentary from beginning to end. Um, with Shivani, Excalibur, and Taz, solid. And and uh one point I remember Taz talking about, you know, you know, all the water he he was drinking during the uh, MJF was drinking during the matchup. You know, it's like, you know, bringing up the fact that, you know, he should know this. He's a, he's an athlete that you don't if you're just rinsing your mouth out. 
uh, because you can actually do that. And I'm going to do it right now, actually. Well, I'm not going to fully do it. I'm, I'm going to drink some water, but. Mm. But if you if you if you're a boxing fan like myself, or if you've ever watched a boxing match in general, you'll see fighters in their corners. Um, their trainers are giving them water. Um, they're just you know swishing it around their mouth and they're spitting it out. And my buddy Brian, uh, shout out to my homie Brian, Brian O. Um, and he actually told me this that when we drink water. You know, we're satiating our mouth, but he actually told me, he's like, well, you know how, like, you know, boxers, you know, swish the water in their mouth and they spit it out. You're basically able to essentially coat your mouth with water and whatever is on your tongue is still able to take in that water. You don't necessarily, and that's why they just spit it out because they're actually able to still take water in regardless of how much they actually spit out. So I really appreciated uh, that for, from Taz bringing that up. And he brought that up at least two or I think three or four times throughout the match um, doing that. And he stated, you know, in a match like this, you know, he's going to blow himself up if he, keep, if he pounds that water, um, which, made me, which made me drink more water too. But it's, it was little things like that throughout the matchup that really made this match the way it was. I mean, from the produce, from the producing, from Tony Khan making the call to go to overtime, to the commentary, to the match, to the to the two men in the ring, uh, to Bryce Remsburg, this match was essential. I honestly think, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this flat out out loud, this may be AEW's greatest match of all time, easily the greatest match in Revolution history in the four years that we had it, which has. This easily surpassed uh, Omega and Page versus the Bucks. Easily. If you're talking about Revolution, this is the greatest match. This is the greatest Revolution match ever. In the four years that they've had it. In terms of AEW's matches, this may be their greatest match of all time. This is the standard to which every match has to follow up with. They didn't get five and three quarter stars just because it was Sunday. Okay. They got five and three quarter stars because they fucking earned it. This match was fan fucking tastic. From beginning to its end, with MJF putting Danielson in the label lock. Now, if it was cattle mutilation, I would even be more impressed. But to put Danielson in the label lock, Danielson trying to fight out of it, and unfortunately, and MJF keeping the hold in. And having and making Danielson tap to his signature finishing move when it comes to submissions, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, I didn't see the promo uh, from Danielson, uh, but he did say in this promo, "It's time to go home," which probably means he'll be going away for a little while. Which honestly, I ain't mad at. You put on a match like that, yeah, you take all the time you want, spend time with your boo thing, you like a boo bang, stand by your side like your boo thing and your babies. And you and when we when we know we have a program ready for you, you know we got you, fam. Danielson earned his vacation. MJF deserves all the flowers. Both of them deserve all the flowers. Give Remsburg all the flowers. Commentary team all the flowers. Well, I mean, yeah, give the commentary team all the flowers. Give Tony Khan all the flowers. Give that all whoever was involved with had a hand in this match. Give them all the flowers. The flowers, the daps, the praise. The this was it. I, I, it's rare for me to say a match is an all-time classic, because it's it's rare for me to actually see a match and just like, this is probably one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. It's rare. It's rare for me to see that. 
the probably probably one probably the most I would say if we're talking about me personally, the greatest match I may have seen up until the it's honestly hard to put like number what's number one on my list because there's so many fucking I have to go through an entire archive. But the last time I may have been any clear were close to saying a match is an all-time classic was Omega versus Okada. Ooh, let me remember, let me remember. Hold on, bring it back. Two. Dominion. Two out of three falls. That was probably the last time I could say a match was a legitimate all-time classic to me. And I'm sure some of y'all will probably be like, oh, what about this match? What about them? I'm sure I'm sure there have been other ones that, that you would consider all-time classics. But to me, the two out of three falls match between Omega and Okada was probably the last time I can honestly say we saw an all-time classic. And I think that was one of the first few matches that actually got bigger. I think that was the actual first or one of the first few matches that got better than a five star. I think it was a six. I think that was the first six star, if I remember correctly, in the history of the Wrestling Observer newsletter, which basically states the greatest match that Dave Meltzer ever seen, and that match was brilliant from beginning to end. Everything about that match was just brilliant. With of course Omega becoming the IWGP uh, Heavyweight Champion uh, after beating Okada after losing to him at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, in their first encounter before uh, facing each other at Dominion and then facing each other once again during the G1 Climax. This match is, is the, is the, is the, it, let me put it this way. MJF versus Brian Danielson is the, is the one when you're a grandpa, grandma, whatever. This is going to be the match you tell your grandkids about. I'm being dead serious. MJF versus Brian O'Danison is the match you you talk to your grandkids about. If you want to get your grandkids into professional wrestling, you pull out that. You bring this match out and you show them this match. In terms of storytelling, ring psychology, the lead up to it, the the of course the match itself, every bit and piece in this matchup was was to quote future sensational. There are no bad words. I have no bad words to say about this match because that this match was that damn good. And that's why I did an entire segment on this match alone. Not, not A, to kind of get it out of the way so I can talk about the rest of the card, but to pretty much give them my, give them my flowers. They deserve every last bit of it. This was pure brilliance from beginning to end. It has replay value. All the things. Just, you know, if we're, I mean, if we're just going off this match alone, that was A+. plus. Probably one of the, this could be in my top five, this will probably be in my top five for greatest matches I have ever seen in my life. This has such replay value. And I think if you're going to get into professional wrestling, these are one of the matches you should watch. Just going to throw that out there. When we come back though, I'm going to talk about the rest of the card. Actually, I'm going to go right into the next segment. Uh, we're gonna talk about the rest of the card, give my final grade, worst and best matches, and of course, the MVP for Revolution. I'll be right back. All right. Now we can get into the remainder of the AEW Revolution review. And, uh, 
I just want to, I did it, I did this, I figured I'd do this as a two-parter because I believe MJF and Brian Danison deserve their own segment so we can, so we can give them the proper love it deserved because it was a well-deserved matchup. And um, this should be definitely on your uh, match of the year list when we get to December. And it definitely, I guarantee, and this is probably the earliest I've ever had a match be locked for the top 10 list. But yes, MJF, Brian O'Danison is the first lock for top 10 matches of the year. Where that will land on the list? Well, we got nine more months to figure that out. Well, technically eight and a half because I usually have to cut off before Christmas. But um, yeah, that's a lock for match of the year. Candidate 100%. Um, but as we get into the rest of the card, I won't talk about the entire card because some of the matches were just I. Right. Uh, Wardlow versus Samoa Joe was okay. Congrats to Wardlow for becoming the new TNT champion. Then losing it three days later to Powerhouse Hobbs. So congratulations to Powerhouse Hobbs for becoming the uh, TNT champion. Shout out to uh, Powerhouse, Powerhouse Hobbs. Guns retaining the uh, TN, uh, oh, it's a TNT Tag Team Championship, the AEW World Tag Team Championship. But I'm glad FTR came back because uh, we're probably going to get something of that nature between them and the Guns at double or nothing. But we got to talk about that, uh, the Texas death match between Hangman Adam Page and John Moxley. This is probably one of the uh, couple of matches that I, I've watched uh, during this card that is the sole reason why I named this episode Revolution Goes to the Kumite. These two literally were trying everything they could to kill each other. Okay? Um... Wardlow was yelling die to Samoa Joe, but um, you could have just let Hangman and uh, Mr. Moxley uh, do the same thing. And uh, they were willing to kill each other to ensure they got the victory at Revolution. My God. They, they had barbed wire everything. It might as well have been Full Metal Mayhem. Might as well have been. You had regular barbed wire. You had barbed wire tables. Had barbed wire steel chairs. You just—I'm surprised they didn't have a, a Lucille bat out because um, they needed that too. Just oh my god, they were literally doing everything they could to literally destroy each other. They brought the chain out. They just for t almost 25 minutes, they literally beat the living hell out of each other, y'all. And for me personally. I'm not the I'm, as a, as I've gone I've gotten older. I'm not the biggest fan of death matches personally. Um, not especially like the indie versions of death matches. I mean, I, I have watched CC, uh, CZW's uh, King of the Death Match uh, tournament a couple times, and damn. And um, a I'm just gonna put that out there. Not cool to pour alcohol on someone's cuts during the match. Just gonna throw that out there. But at least it does help heal the cuts in some way. But these two, from from. Not even the opening bell. From the second Moxley opened up the barricade to walk out to the ring, it was go time. They beat the hell out of each other. They, 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 they used bricks, bruv. They used bricks. We had oh, Adam Page damn near had his hand broken off of bricks. Like, everything you could possibly think of for a death match, for a Texas death match, they basically did. These two went at it, and I'm very happy that Paige did win this matchup. Moxley, the way his standing in AEW, 
he could afford to lose a matchup of this magnitude. I think Paige really deserved to win this matchup, which is why uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, I picked Adam Page to win this matchup because it, this was just pure, unadulterated violence. This was right up um, Blackpool Combat Club's uh, alley, 100%. It was one of those things where it, it was right up Moxley's alley. This is something Moxley definitely uh, was probably like all for when they were going to do this matchup. This was brilliant at its finest. It was just pure. It was just just everything you wanted in two men who literally hate each other's guts to do. Uh, power bombs through tables, beating each other up with uh, the steel chairs. This was violence personified. Um, one thing I did see on Twitter this past week, um, before I watched uh, Revolution uh, the other day, was basically, I believe, a, a tweet from Chris Saban uh, talking about the origins of how he became, how we got the nickname Hangman in the first place. It was because he did the same thing he did to John Moxley to win the match on Sunday. He did the Chris Saban in front of his family at a show. I think I'm not sure. I believe it was a Ring of Honor show, and he did the same thing he uh, he did to Moxley. Did the Saban, and that's how we got the nickname Hangman. So I thought that was a pretty uh, nice little tweet there, um, explaining how he got the nickname. And uh, shout out to Chris Saban for that. Uh, Chris Saban's one of my favorite wrestlers from the older over the TNA when he was part of the X Division. Um, yeah, yeah, love me some Chris Saban, uh, and uh, of course MCMG with Alex Shelley. But this match was just violent. Violent. Brilliant violence. But violence nonetheless. This was just fun to watch. I mean, you it, it's one of those matches where you had to look away a couple times, but you couldn't look away. You know what I'm saying? It's like a 13-car pileup that you just couldn't look away from. You feel me? That It was one of those matches. It was just flat out just, I'm going to try to kill you. You're going to try to kill me. Let's see who dies first type shit. Let's, let's let's keep it real with each other. This was a fun. That was a fun match, and my god, the amount of creativity they allowed for this matchup to happen, especially with the bricks, was great. The chain was great. It was just oh my god, everything about that was just crazy, from beginning to end. Page beating Moxley by submission because he knew he was about to pass out from the uh, the chain wrapped around his fucking neck and destroying his trachea. My lord, that visual at the end was just crazy. But uh, sh- and shout out to Paige and Moxie for that, man. That was just buck wild. Buck wild. Woo! Mm. Just thinking about all the, all the spots in the matchup. Uh, just insane, dude. In fucking insane. Um, one piece of note from the uh, AEW Women's World Championship match between Hater, Soraya, and uh, Ruby Soho. Um, shout out to Hater for retaining the championship. Actually, two pieces. One, I'm surprised Brit, they have Britt Baker as a babyface at the moment. I'm not mad at it. I'm just very surprised. I'm like, I would never consider Britt Baker, D-M-D, as an actual babyface. I'm not saying it wasn't a thing, but it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, like when Roman Reigns turned heel uh, three years ago, almost three years ago, actually, um, it's something I'm surprised by, and it works. This actually works, uh, especially now, especially with the case, what happened after uh, Hater retained her championship. Uh, Storm, I believe, went after um, Britt Baker and Jamie Hater. Soraya goes after her. 
Um, Ruby chases them, uh, chases uh, Soraya and Storm out of the ring. And then it seemed, it made it seem like, you know, Hater and Baker, you know, Soho was siding with uh, Hater and Baker. Then she hits the detonation kick on, um, I believe it was uh, Baker first. And then Hater got the uh, got the beats by Dre afterwards. But the way they played it out was brilliant. And I believe the, uh, Shravani had said it on commentary is that Soho, in a sense, was technically an outsider when she came into the fold in AEW. Uh, the way they portrayed it is that she was never really accepted as an original because she wasn't. Uh, Hater and Baker were originals in AEW. And Ruby Soho always felt like an outsider to uh even her jacket said it homegrown outsider um on the jacket when she was uh coming out to the ring and now she's aligned herself with soraya and uh, tony storm i think these three are a solid stable i think these three can definitely do some damage tony storm is a heel is surprisingly great i and i i love the fact that uh storm is a heel i love the way they portray storm as a heel and of course putting a uh, spray paint on the back of that booty um, you never, but uh, <laughs> I am just a man. I am merely just a man. But uh, Soho linking up with Soraya and Storm, I think it was, was a solid idea. Very good swerve uh, on that. And it was just fantastic. Um, good match between these three. Personally, Hater retained. Um, just a lot of good bits and pieces from this matchup that I did like, uh, especially with the uh, Soho turn on uh, Baker and Hater. Very good shit. The real reason I called this episode uh, Revolution Goes to the Kumite was the House of Black versus the Elite for the uh, World Trios Championship. These are six men that really, truly... It, mind you, we all knew this was a match, a very anticipated matchup. This match was highly anticipated on the card. If you had just given me a card with Starks, Jericho, uh, Jungle Boy and Cage, House of Black and Elite, Paige Moxley, MJF Danielson. This would have been card of the year, 100%. That's not to say the other couple of matches on the card didn't weren't bad, but this these matches carried this night. And House of Black versus the Elite was this easily, before we got to the main event, this could have been match of the night. Be, this, I, but I did say on last week's episode that this match was going to be a dark horse candidate for match of the night. And boy, did they make me look good. <laughs> they showed up and showed out and gave us one of the uh, best matches of the night. 18 minutes worth of just pure unadulterated ass whooping across the board. Everybody got their shit in. Um, I'm surprised Cutler and Nakazawa didn't get involved as much as I thought they would. Hart got a V trigger. That was buck wild. Um, this goes to show that the uh, trios championship, when you do have a solid division, when you do have a solid division, like the one, like uh, if, if the trios division can be can, continues to actually get some legs, you have the elite, you have the house of black, you have dark order with hangman. If you want to go that route, that cool combat club is still in the fold. You have a lot of decent trios teams that can fill that division. And I think it gives opportunities for people like, uh, Black, King, and Matthews, who are now the uh, new World Trio Championships, and shout-outs. Uh, huge kudos to them, but also kudos to the Elite. But this was your gold standard. This was like the 
This was basically like the uh, Eagles Chiefs. You literally had the two best teams in the NFL playing each other for the Super Bowl. You had the two best trio team, trios teams. Wow, alliteration is hard sometimes. Two best trios teams in the division in AEW going head to head for the right to see who was the best trios team in AEW right now. These two just went gave everything. They they literally showed up and showed the hell out on Sunday, dude. This was just fan fucking tastic. I was so thoroughly happy with the result of this matchup. Everything just you know, Black Omega facing off against each other. Crowd was going buck wild. Uh, super kicks galore, of course. Um, the the spot with a uh, Black King and Matthews uh, doing topes over the top rope that was insane. That was just fantastic. I I, I just love every every bit of this. Like I said, the, the trios division is still up and coming, but man, did they really just give you like the reason why the trios championships were invented in the first place. I mean, you have Death Triangle too, um, and they're they're a solid tag team. But of course, they had that best of seven series with the Elite, and I'm I'm kind of upset that they, uh, Death Triangle didn't get that uh, win that four three, but it'd be like that sometimes. But all roads were going to lead to the Elite versus House of Black for those trios championships. And they just put on a show. They put on a damn good show. And for the House of Black to now be the World Trios champions, it makes sense. Um, hopefully, AEW does extend the contracts of Omega and the Young Bucks because, well, A, they're the EVPs of the company. But B, they are a very integral part of what AEW is. They, were, they have been there since the beginning. Feel me? So... It would be foolish of AEW to lose the elite. It really would. They know that. Tony Khan knows that. Tony Khan ain't stupid. Um, get those deals signed. Get that popping, and uh, keep them in the, for at least a few a uh, few more years. But man, they they brought us. They, this was the beginning of bringing us to the Kumite. It was ap- it was after the final burial match. Well, actually, burial. I would honestly say the burial match was actually kind of part of the reason why they went to the Kumite. But this this six man tag, this World Trio uh, Championship match, is the reason, uh, the beginnings of uh, them going to the Kumite. They it was just knee strikes, V triggers, super kicks, uh, rolling elbows, rolling lariats. Just they they beat the hell out of each other. They they, they were just giving every every person who was involved in this match got the beats by Dre. Even Julia Hart caught a V trigger. I mean, like I said before. And, and shout out to uh, Julia Hart for taking that uh, V trigger, man. It, it, I know it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, you got okay. So we're gonna do this. Malachi's gonna move out of the way. You're gonna take a V trigger. I think a, a couple points in this matchup. Um, I had even said to myself, famous. Uh, I've said this plenty of times. You couldn't pay me to take this bump. And the uh, one that comes to mind is when Brody King, I believe, had uh, Matt Jackson on the chair on the barricade, runs full flat and does a flying crossbody on the man's. You couldn't pay me to get that spot. You got you got put you gotta cut the check if you're gonna have me take that bump. But these these six men really put on a really good matchup for the uh for the fans in San Francisco. And and shout out to the fans in San Francisco one time uh for just really being amped up all night. They were just amped, especially for this matchup. They were amped the fuck up for this matchup. And again, shout out to the House of Black for becoming the new world trios champions. Um I believe uh, they had a um, 
I'm not sure if it uh, was this past Wednesday or this coming Wednesday. It will be a uh, triple threat trios championship tag team match. I believe it's the Elite House of Black, and I believe the uh, Jeff Jarrett's team is going to get uh, Jeff Jarrett, uh, Jay Lethal, and Sanjay Dutt, or something like that of something of that nature. I could be wrong, but they will be defending those championships early, and uh, good for them to be doing so. Yo, let's get them. Let's get the, let's get the defenses going. Let's get them back in there because I'm not gonna lie. Ever since Malachi Black left, got released from WWE, man, it was only a matter of time before he went somewhere else. He's been doing him. He did himself a, a well done service to not only go to AEW, but and but WWE was dumb enough to not um, switch his uh, his clause. Uh, for those of you who may not know, WWE gives uh, is a 90 day no compete clause if you are ever released from the company or if you ever walk, or if you ever uh, leave the company. It's a 90 day no compete clause. That's basically saying like we so basically you have three months, um, kind of sort yourself out, and you can't go you can't really compete anywhere else for 90 days. Uh, WWE was stupid enough to not do that, and he was still on his NXT contract at the time, per se. Um, and he was, and he, and now if you're part of NXT, you only have to, you only have a 30 day, no compete clause. So basically once we found out that news, and I believe I actually discussed this, um, at one, I believe, uh, way, way back, uh, when uh, Malachi Black got released, he was, he only had a 30 day, no compete clause. So all he had to do was just wait a month. And then he was just an AEW. Sometimes WWE does really dumb shit. It'd be like that sometimes. But um, yeah, this this matchup, uh, this is, uh, again, has such replay value. I would watch this again and again and again. And uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Jack Perry, Christian Cage, real quick. I, oh, man. I'm th- I'm happy that Perry did win this matchup. Now, it was if I remember correctly, this was supposed to be a no DQ match, more so a street fight. But the fact that... Uh, of course, Jungle ba- uh, Jungle Boy had the uh, promo where he had uh, Christian Cage Tombstone, um, had him with a shovel with some dirt around that, John. Now I'm just like, okay, we're going to do this. I am very happy that Perry and Cage ended the feud the way they did, but with Perry winning the feud. Perry had to win this feud. It would, it would, it would have done Cage no favors if Cage won uh, this matchup. It was always Jack Perry that needed to win this. Fix my pop filter real quick. But yeah, Jack Perry always had to win this feud, had to win this matchup. This was uh, after everything Christian Cage did, talking about his dead daddy, talking about his mama, talking about his family, doing all this goofy shit, taking Luchasaurus away from Mans, turning him heel, which honestly, if I, I'm honestly heel Luchasaurus is pretty fucking, looks pretty damn good if I say so myself. Um, Cage did all this shit. All this shit. And if it ended with Cage winning, it would have just been a very terrible way to blow off the feud. Perry always had to win this matchup. Jungle Boy always had to win this. And the best part, I would say the best part about this matchup was when um, he set up Christian Cage for the concerto and they did a little callback to when Jungle Boy tried to do it the first time but he didn't have the heart to do it. He didn't have he didn't necessarily have the stones to do it, but he just didn't have it in his heart 
He didn't have that killer instinct to be like, you know what? I'm going to end this dude. Oh, but he sure did uh, in the final burial match. And um, fantastic. And the way that he closed it, he closed the casket and then the casket just drops right after that. That was a pretty nice little uh, little detail there at the end. But yeah, Jack, uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry deserved to win this matchup. I'm happy he won this. Uh, I'm happy he had this, this feud is now behind him. And hopefully somewhere down the line, we can start getting them for some singles belts. TNT Championship looking at you. Um, and also, one bit of news before I get into uh, the rest of this stuff. Um, so the AEW Brass are going to be changing the name of the All-Atlantic Championship to the AEW International Championship. Um, just so you guys get a head, so just a heads up for y'all um, with this, uh, just so y'all know. But um, last little bit, Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho, uh, big win for Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks needed this. Ricky Starks needed this. Chris Jericho did not need this win at all. And I'm happy that Jericho was just like, you know what? Yeah, Starks, he knows. He, he, sometimes when you know, you know type of stuff. Ricky Starks needed this definite victory. And I'm very thankful that um, that Ricky Starks got this one. Because Ricky Starks is a star. Ricky Starks is a star. You don't spell Starks without star, correct? Ricky needed this win more than anybody else in this matchup. Him be, uh, that uh, Anybody else being Chris Jericho. But this is a good matchup. This is a it was a very very solid opener to to kick off this matchup. Um, like I said, Ricky Starks is going to be a, a a very big um, talent that AEW needs to keep around for their future. Starks ain't no joke, and he proved that by beating Chris Jericho on Sunday night. I loved it. I loved it. I actually love this matchup. Like I said, it was a really really good opener between these two. It was just. This is the kind of opener you wanted to see. I mean, if you started with um, Wardless Samoa Joe, I would have been happy with it. If you started with Chris Jericho and Starks, I would have loved it. If you started with the uh, Women's World Championship to kick off the night, I would have been okay with that too. But Starks versus Jericho was the right call for the opener, which kind of makes me think Hater, Soraya, and uh, Ruby Soho actually got the dead spot. in the, um, And then uh, Wardlow and Samoa Joe got the dead spot. Mm. Yikers. But we ain't going to talk about that right now. But Starks beating Jericho was the right call. Starks is a star in AEW. And I think after beating Jericho, I think Starks is definitely going to be seeing a bigger feud. Which kind of makes me think. Possibly... Since we now have Powerhouse Hobbs as the TNT champion, maybe, just maybe, they do Starks versus Hobbs for the TNT championship at double or nothing. Just going to throw it out there. You know, let me know what y'all think about that. But with that, we now get into the wonderful particular portion of the program. And let us begin with the best and worst matches of the night. Let's start with the worst match, because that's what we usually do around here. Worst match of the night. Honestly, on a card where... Now, mind you, this is a card where pretty much every match was was pretty damn good. Was good. Was good, good, good. Um, but if I had to choose which match... like You're pretty much choosing the, the worst of the best, in a sense. The worst of the best. And if I had to choose which one was the worst match of the night, honestly, I'm going to go with Wardlow Samoa Joe. Shocker, I know. 
Um, I love both of these guys, but for me, this match didn't really do much for me. I mean, I mean, if you wanted it, I mean, I could go with a tie for the uh, triple threat for the women's world championship because that didn't really do much for me either. Uh, you know what? That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a tie. I'm gonna do the women's world championship triple threat and Wardlow Samoa Joe as my worst matches of the night. It was the worst of the best, if we're honestly good about it. They were good matches, but for me, out of what we saw in the rest of the card, those two for me were basically on that same plane. You know, if I get to the point where I'm on my phone for a little bit and not as much focusing on the matchup itself, it's gonna be on that worst of the <laughs> worst worst uh, match of the card list. Um, but yeah. Like I said, this is just the worst of the best. And these two, they had to be chosen. It's unfortunate, but somebody, some matches, ha- a match or two had to be chosen. And so I'm going to go with a tie for Wardlow Samoa Joe and the Women's Triple Threat uh, match for the champ- uh, Women's World Championship as worst match of the night. In terms of match of the night, if it weren't for MJF Danielson, the Elite versus House of Black would have been easily match of the night, hands down. And that's why I said, if it weren't for MJF versus Brian Danielson, because MJF versus Brian Danielson is your match of the night when it comes to Revolution. This match was sensational. It was brilliant, beginning to end, an all-time classic, all the flowers, everything and, and, and i ain't gotta, i ain't gotta explain it no more you can just listen to the last segment um but yeah that was definitely your match of the night and it's a lock for match of the year for it's gonna be a lock for match of the year candidate for sure when all is said and done hands down will definitely be in my top 10 for 2023 easily without question which then goes we then go to the mvp of aew revolution I couldn't tell you past winners. I wish I could, honestly. And if I only only remember only one I remember uh, is the uh, is Omega and Page Omega Page and the Bucks for their tag team championship match uh, at Revolution. I remember that that was a definite. Uh, I remember that being the MVP um, for Revolution. If I remember that in 2020, but it is going to be co MVPs this go around, and. It is 100% MJF and Brian O'Danison as your co-MVPs of the night. These two put on a show. 100% put on a show. They deserve all the accolades in this. And it's no and it's no surprise that they, deserve, they got matched they get matched of the night and co-MVPs. Like I said, this is probably AEW's greatest match ever. And these two put on a absolute clinic, a masterclass, if you will. Again, I would just say it, ring psychology, ring generalship storytelling you know everything you needed in a 60 minute iron man match for me personally we were given that we were easily given that and those two definitely deserve the mvps for 2020 uh this for uh revolution 2023 hands down um and i guarantee they'll both be in the running for my mvp of 2023 uh before the year is said and done hands down they will def- they are definitely in the uh the watch list of MVPs and um, absolutely 100% deserve to be co-MVPs of the night, which leads to the final grade. And as of late, I've been really on, I've been pretty, I wouldn't say leaning it in my grades. I think I've been, I haven't been generous in my grades. I think I've been very objective in how I've been grading Royal Rumble, Elimination Chamber, and now we get into Revolution. 
this is easily this will probably be the highest grade I give uh, I've given so far uh, when it comes to my reviews. Minus Wrestle Kingdom because I didn't want I haven't fully watched Wrestle Kingdom as of yet. Um, but without question, this is one hundred percent A. This is an A show. Again, I, it's rare of me to give A pluses because then I would say this is the this is the flat out show of the year. Um, it is an A. It is an absolute A from me. Um, and this is probably the highest grade I have given for a particular show in quite some time. This was an A show, 100%. Um, and of course, matches like uh, Danielson, MJF, Elite House of Black, uh, Moxley and Page, they really carried this show. 100%. Starks Jericho was great. The final burial match was good. Everything was good. A across the board. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude episode 354 of the YLP podcast. When we come back, we'll close up the show in proper YLP fashion and get you ready for next week's episode, episode 354 of the YLP podcast. Be right back. That's gonna be it for episode 354 of the YLP podcast. As always, one of the best time out of your day, your night, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. Once again, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or opinions about today's episode or any of the other 353 episodes of the YLP podcast, do not hesitate to voice message over at anchor.fm slash young lions perspective or podcasters.spotify.com slash young perspective whichever route you go i believe both will make sense you can also hit me up with an email send me one over at young lions perspective at gmail.com if you want to follow me on my social media, of course, you can find me over on Twitter at YL Perspective. You can find me over on Instagram at Young underscore Lions underscore Perspective. And you can find me on Facebook. Simply search for Young Lions Perspective Podcast. Yes, I still have a Facebook. It'd be like that sometimes. But <laughs> of course, you can find this podcast across all different platforms. Of course, Spotify. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, all that good stuff. Wherever you find, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can for sure find the YLP podcast on those different platforms. You dig? So, what is going on for next week? Well, as far as I know, there are no pay per views to talk about, there are no uh, things to review. So, it'll just be a full on, flat out show with just the news of the week. And maybe just maybe I might do a little something special uh, in what I would consider what would be a proper WrestleMania card from yours truly. Um, I've been kind of, kind of working it out in my head. What would I have as the proper WrestleMania 39 card? And looking at the card that we have for WrestleMania 39 that's shaping up, um, personally, uh, it's not it's not actually a bad card. It's actually shaping up to be a good card. But I want to kind of give you I would want to give you my idea of what a 
uh, what a YLP WrestleMania card would look like. So I'm gonna try to maybe conjure up a couple things. You know, if I if I do get around to it, I'll do one for you guys next week. If not, it is just gonna be straight out, flat out, all the news that's fit for me to talk about. If you have any news that comes up during the week, hit me up with an email and send me that news. And if you do, I'll shout you out on next week's episode. That's how I get down. That's it for me though this week. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Enjoy your week. And I'll see you guys right back here next Saturday for episode 355 of the YLP Podcast. I'll see you. This has been a Wrestle Attic Radio branded podcast.